Welcome to the New Books Network. Hi, this is Tricia Keffer from sunny Key Largo, Florida, your host for New Books in Architecture with a special mini-series in Landscape Architecture, a podcast channel on the New Books Network. Uh, Today's uh, book is The Bird-Friendly City, Creating Safe Urban Habitats by Timothy Betley and uh, is published by Island Press in 2020. So, hi, Tim. Welcome to the show. Hi. Hi, Tricia. Nice to be here. Let's start with, uh, can you tell the audience a little bit about yourself? Okay. Well, um, I teach at the University of Virginia. I'm a professor in the Urban and Environmental Planning Department and the School of Architecture. I've been teaching here uh, for a long time, since the 1980s actually. And um, a lot of my work uh, has to do with uh, nature in cities and how we can have compact, dense, sustainable cities, but also cities that, that connect us to the natural world. And what was your motivation for writing this book? Well, it, um, it's a sort of a long answer. I think uh, I certainly, I've been a, a bird lover uh, all my life and uh, have fond memories of watching birds and listening to birds growing up. And um, I had a couple of parents, a mom in particular, who uh, loved birds. And uh, and it's part of a larger interest of mine in nature and the power of the natural world. So it is uh, definitely grows out of work that, that, that I've been doing, we've been doing here at UVA around this idea of biophilic cities that cities that connect us to nature. So this builds on this concept of biophilia, that we are innately drawn to, to nature, that we need nature uh, to be uh, fully happy, healthy, meaning, lead meaningful lives. And so birds, um, for me, are a, a big part of, of that, a big part of the nature that affects me and that I en- enjoy. I guess the other, the other motivation is uh, one of concern uh, for birds, the state of birds, the, the, con- the sort of um, threats to birds and bird life. And, and over my time uh, teaching, I've, unfortunately, I've had a number of episodes where I've uh, discovered dead birds or seen collisions, uh, bird building collisions. And, and so a sense of concern, I think, uh, about the impacts that buildings and the design in the built environment has had on birds and bird life. And so, so there's sort of an intersection then between sort of my, my personal background and my, and my professional life. Now I did read here in your book that you were a, are you still a pilot? Well, no, I mean, I uh, don't think they ever take the, the license away from you, but it's been many years since I've done any flying, but I, I uh, I grew up in a flying household. My 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 dad was a, a United Airlines pilot, and and so and, and we had a small plane. And so I had a pilot's license when I was seventeen. It was more important to me actually than than getting a driver's license, um, which was a big deal for you know teenagers in those days. Um, and then I did a lot of uh, sailplane uh, flying as well, gliders. And so, yeah, so I, I carry with me a, a lot of that early flying life, but I, I don't really fly anymore now. Uh, well, this is all side uh, conversation. Do you think that uh, we like birds because uh, we're a little bit jealous that we can't fly? Uh, well, I think there, there's, there's some of that, definitely. Um, we, it, I think in the book somewhere, I, I talk about the Wright brothers and how they you know, were inspired by watching uh, turkey vultures soaring, which is something when we when I did a lot of sailplane flying, that was what we, we thermaled as well. We went looking for those uh, masses of hot air that would keep us up longer. And so we, you know, we very much, we actually would head towards the turkey vultures. Uh, we certainly are inspired by them. Um, and I think that's probably true. A, a lot of us uh, just could imagine what flying would be like um, and that's, you know, power planes are great. Sailplanes are really better in that sense of kind of giving your, giving a sense of what a bird, what it would actually feel like to be a bird. And you feel like those, those long 
uh, wings are extensions, you know, of your body. You really, you really feel like that. Uh, so I think that's right. I think you're right. I think we we're envious. Um, we're fascinated. Uh, we're curious uh, and we're inspired uh, by birds. So, well, what, what are the benefits of birds? What, what do birds, uh, we'll start with that. What do birds do for us, for people? Why should I, why should I like birds? <laughs> um, well, many reasons. And, and, uh, you know, certainly there are really important eco- ecological services provided by birds and, and, you know, m- many sort of, um, utilitarian benefits that birds provide to humans. Um, I mean, that would be one, one answer um, that we're in the middle of this pandemic. And one of the, the things that I've been impressed by, I mean, it's a really hard, hard time for all of us, obviously. Uh, but if there is any silver lining to this time, it is the, the recognition or re recognition of how important nature is and, and what a, what a saving grace, what a balm it has been for, for a lot of us. Uh, and birds are a big part of that. So part of the answer is birds make us feel better, make us happy, give us moments of awe and moments of joy when we need that, especially now. And I don't know how many times now people have, have told me about uh, how they, during, a lo- during the lockdown, you know, they're watching birds, uh, listening to birds, um, and I've had someone ask me the other day, are the birds louder than they used to be? Um, are there more birds? Well, there aren't. I mean, that this was someone asking me during the spring migration and they were in New York city and there probably were more birds moving around them, but it's this pandemic, this time when we're, maybe we have a little bit more time to, to be paying attention to birds and we're, we're hearing things maybe be, you know, a lot of cities are, have been quieter, um, and we're able to hear birds. So, so that's, you know, one answer is that we, we absolutely need birds to be healthy, happy. Um, this goes back again to, to the, the concept of biophilia. Um, and I certainly uh, react this way when I, um, when I walk out of this room after this interview and I see and hear birds around me, uh, it, it is uplifting, right? Um, the other answer is that that's a pretty anthropocentric way of answering, right? So uh, birds are here as we are here. They have inherent worth. They have intrinsic value, irrespective of the value they provide to humans, and they have a right to exist. And uh, and, and so that's another way of, of, of answering, I think. That's true. They have, they have a right to exist, just as um, all other creatures and plants have a right to exist on planet Earth. Right. So, uh, what about um, the ecosystem values? Because that's a, a buzzword anymore. Is as ecosystem benefits. Uh, what do birds do in the environment? How do they keep things humming? What do they do? Well, they can, um, you know, they eat, eat insects. They can control, you know, they have the, that aspect of of what they do. Pest management services. Um, you know, there are. Uh, complex uh, e- ecosystem relationships when you take a, a bird you know out of the equation uh, there you know there are cascading impacts uh, associated with that um, and you know I, there's no question that uh, depending on the bird and the species of bird I, I was talking about turkey vultures you know and that's a really interesting bird to talk about from an ecosystem services uh, perspective. And we've seen actually a rapid, uh, huge decline in, in vulture populations in some parts of uh, India and some parts, other parts of the world, really all, all other species besides the turkey vulture and the black vulture that are indigenous to North America, plummet, you know, r- big plummets. And what that has meant is cascading effects. Well, why? Because they, they are, you know, nature's cleaner, cleaner uppers, if you will. Uh, and they, they do so, so much for us. And uh, it's too bad that I think a lot of uh, people think about a, a species like a turkey vulture and they just, they're turned off. I'm not sure why they're lovely, beautiful, fascinating birds, but 
um, they clean up a lot of stuff. You know, they they have evolved to to be able to process and digest uh, toxins and th- things that would kill us, kill humans, and uh, and and they're out there, you know, every day um, cleaning up the you know roadkill and the other the other things that you know uh, that that would would otherwise be there. Um, and uh, I don't know if you've ever seen a. <laughs> turkey vulture by the side of the road or um but they're 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 incredible in that in that way so that's one you know one example of 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 sort of under under accounted underappreciated uh ecological services provided by that one species so i guess we should talk about you know uh birds are as we all know declining um and the reasons for that what are the reasons for uh, bird populations uh, we're losing our birds. What's happening? Why? Yeah, so it's uh, a number of, of, of different things going on. Um, obviously, climate change is a huge uh, culprit and w- is a huge threat and will be a huge threat moving forward. Um, but it's also um, habitat destruction and m- many of the birds we love are migratory birds and they're moving around and, and they not only need to have habitat in in one place, but in multiple places. Right. And, and so we've seen deforestation and we've seen loss of, 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 uh, habitats that birds depend upon. So, and then, you know, uh, increased use of, of and increased toxicity to the pesticides and herbicides that were, we're using all, all, all interconnected, right? All these things are interconnected. We're converting land for, you know, from forest to agriculture. And, uh, and then we're, you know, doing all kinds of herbicides and pesticides and that kill the insects that, that many birds depend upon for survival. So there are all these larger uh, systemic problems that we need to address. But I'm, I'm an urban planner and um, I and this book tends to kind of look at it through the lens of a city, and so there there are a whole bunch of really significant threats to birds connected to to human settlement to built environments, right? So glass being a big one, glass and buildings, and um, you know that birds don't really haven't evolved really to to recognize glass, the barrier of of, of glass. They don't see it. What they see is often a reflection of uh, trees or vegetation, uh, you know, outside the building. Uh, it's being reflected, uh, or clouds, and so we have a huge number of, of uh, millions of birds that are killed from uh, or and injured from building strikes. So that's that's a big uh, danger, and then along with human settlement, we bring things like you know, domestic cats, um, and domestic and feral cats, um, an even bigger, uh, level of threat in terms of at least the estimates of the number of birds killed by, by our, by cats. Um, so those are just some, some of the, the thing, some of the threats. I mean, we, um, cities are, are bright. We have a, a huge problem with, uh, light, light pollution, and that has multiple uh, effects on on birds, uh, especially during periods of migration when we have, uh, you know, li- literally millions of birds moving through urban areas, and they end up being drawn to those lights, often becoming exhausted, uh, disoriented, uh, falling to the ground, make, making them vulnerable to striking that window. Um, um, so, so a lot of cities now, of course, are working or have some form of lights out. Uh, initiative or program to try to combat that. But, uh, you know, we, we can't see the Milky Way. We can't see the night sky. We've lost that. For most Americans, you can't, you know, with your naked eye, you can't connect to that night sky. So, so the lighting issue, the lighting, uh, the light pollution is a problem for lots of reasons. Uh, but, but it's certainly a problem for birds and, um, and bats and other, and other critters. 
So, well, let's take these one at a time. Um, we can't talk about birds without talking about cats. So, um, right. what are some? <laughs> so, what are some? Now, I will say, I I love my kitty cat, and she's a cute <laughs> little kitten sitting here, and and I love birds too. I can love them both, and I, I love what my mom said. She goes, I just wish everything I loved stopped eating something else that I love. <laughs> oh, right. Uh huh. <laughs> <laughs> can, can cats and birds can they get along? Yeah, you, you know it's interesting. Um, there are a, num- a number of things that that w- we can do, and the book is largely about telling stories of, of, of what cities have have been doing and and organizations in in those cities. Um, and I should say, I haven't said this yet. I should say that I'm I'm certainly no uh, bird expert. I'm you know I'm a bird lover. Um, and so my emphasis has really been on trying to kind of understand what we can do in cities um, that will benefit birds. Um, and, and that's a really tough one because it pits uh, often our love of cats, you know, against our love of birds. Um, it shouldn't be that way. And I think that's one answer is that we can find some common ground. And uh, it's a love of other forms of life, right? And that's biophilic. And um, and so, what can you do? Whether well, there are um, you know programs for addressing feral cats and feral cat colonies, lots of controversy around this, um, you know, this um, this re- kind of you know capture release, um, recapture or capture release neuter, you know, um, spay and neutering feral cats and then putting them back out um, and feeding colonies, a lot of controversy around that and quite a bit of disagreement among folks in the, you know, about what's best for birds and what's, you know, best for the cats. But there are some things, uh, the book talks about catios, and I don't know if that's a term you've heard before, but uh, this is a, an initiative that's been promoted um through an alliance really between the feral cats coalition in, in Oregon and uh, Portland Audubon and catios are cat cat patios would kind of is where the word comes from really. But these are um, enclosed outdoor spaces, usually connected to a house that um, provide the opportunity for a, a pet cat to, to, to have, to be outside in a way to have that outdoor experience but but they're not free you know to predate on a on a bird so uh so portland does portland um organizes this has this annual catio tour which is really wonderful so they uh usually put on display you know 10 10 catios around the city and it's like a you know like a garden tour or an open house tour where you you go from one to the next and you get to see um, you know, different catio designs. Um, so that's one, one idea of, uh, but I, th- I think we've, you know, there, w- there are programs for encouraging folks to keep their cats in indoors. That's another really effective way of going about this. Um, and particularly at, you know, key, key times during the year, nesting times, for example. So that's another option of course, um, there are these talk about this in the book. There are these uh, are companies that make uh, products like the rainbow collar, which is this big puffed up collar. There's a picture in the book of my cat actually wearing one of these collars, and it's a multicolored. It's a rainbow colored collar uh, designed with you know has some science behind it. These are colors that that um, that just the size of the collar means that the bird is more likely to see that cat. But then these are colors that birds are, are, are likely to, to notice. And uh, so that, and there's another product that's a, more of a bib that you, you put on your cat that makes it, doesn't impede their movement, but it really makes it hard for a cat to lunge and attack a bird. So, so there are a number of things like that, that, um, that pet, on, pet owners could do, cat owners could, could, could do. Um, by the way, I, I wanted to say um, we I talked about this, mentioned this idea of biophilic cities, and we have a network of biophilic cities. One of them is Portland, 
And uh, one of the things that we've been doing is producing a short documentary films, five to seven minute films about uh, really uh, innovative stories, stories of innovative work that cities are doing. And, and we have a five minute film about the catio tours, the catio tour. So if anyone's interested in seeing that, um, we actually spent the day kind of following around uh, folks as they saw these catio tours, visited several of the cat, catio, um, specific catios. And so that would be a good resource for anyone interested in more in, in learning more about what a catio is. Oh, well, you can feel free to promote it here. What was, do you have a website or a YouTube channel? We do. It's um, biophiliccities.org. And there's a, um, when you go to that site, there's a drop down, there's a film page um, that where you can find all of these short documentary films, including that one. Well, that sounds like a good resource. And so uh, what else can we do? Um, uh, my, my master's degree is in landscape architecture. And of course, yeah. we, we interact with, with, uh, with urban planners. Uh, what are some other things that we can uh, design for cities? You talk about here a vertical bird city. What is, what is that about? Yeah. So, so there are, I think, many ways that we could uh, move beyond simply reducing the dangers um, for birds in cities. And the first thing is, you know, glass, glass and so we now have uh, cities like San Francisco, first city to to adopt mandatory safe bird safe design standards. Uh, other cities now are following suit. New York has uh, adopted a similar standard. Basically, mandates the use of bird bird safe glass in buildings, uh, and particularly uh, in those areas that the height. Uh, from the ground where, where birds are likely to, to, to strike. Um, so this is tried and true, pretty, you know, uh, a, a basic thing that we ought to do everywhere in every city. And this is essentially fritted, fritted glass, um, you know, pattern baked into glass that a pattern, uh, a fritting pattern that a bird can see it basically makes the glass uh, visible. There, there are a lot of other products and a lot of other technologies, uh, UV uh, treated glass and even some really low tech things um, like uh, paracords that you know can be hanging down in front of a glass window. This is a good good option for retrofitting uh, um, even a single family home um, and anything that will make that glass visible to 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 birds. So that's that's one thing. But that's sort of taking away the danger. Um, we can do more of the things that that you would want to do as a landscape architect, I think. And that gets us into uh, designing gardens and thinking about how we can convert that not very bird-friendly um, single species, you know, turf grass lawn into, into something that would be a bird-friendly uh, lawn or backyard. And actually, here's another example of how Portland Audubon has been sort of pioneering and they have a they have one of the most rigorous and extensive uh, backyard wildlife certification uh, uh, programs and it's it's you know again about about uh, using native species uh, um, things that are going to um, su supply uh, the, the kinds of environment the kind of habitats that birds will need um, and a lot of evidence, uh, I have to mention Doug Tallamy, this, uh, ecologist from, um, University of Delaware, uh, who's done all this research, uh, pretty compelling work showing that, uh, you know, when you, when you think about what a, a nesting bird will need, um, when it comes to, um, caterpillars, for example, a, a remarkable number of caterpillars that are needed to, to sustain young chicks um, when they're when they're growing up, and those caterpillars are more likely you're, you're going to get a, a much more pr productivity from a, a native tree uh, that's a host to that native uh, caterpillar, a tree like a white oak, for example, and, and at least in this part of the U.S. So thinking about how we can convert the spaces around our homes and, and the spaces around our cities, right? So it's, 
questions about uh, planting, you know, many native plants, but also many native species of trees um, so that our our cities writ large are more, um, you know, habitable and 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 uh, provide better 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 habitat, better uh, chances for survival um, for for birds and things like green rooftops, for example. And there's a, a lot of discussion in the book about uh, New York City and how in the uh, installation of green rooftops, uh, for example, on the Javits Jacob Javits Center. In, in New York, uh, it's become a nesting site now for, for birds, um, and so the, the the sort of leftover spaces of cities, the places we kind of forget, could be uh, places of habitat for birds. It, that rooftop could be a meadow. Now we want to be you know careful. We want to make sure that that by by doing that we don't expose uh, birds to you know the dangers of glass that they wouldn't have. Uh, had before. So we've got to do a lot of these things in tandem if we can. Um, Yeah. You have here a chapter, you know, design for safe passage. um, And uh, you're talking about San Francisco and I'll I'll give you a break just a second. I I like this, uh, this quote you have here at the beginning, you've got some great quotes in the book. Um, It's once upon a time when women were birds, there was a simple understanding that to sing at dawn and to sing at dusk, was to heal the world through joy. The birds still remember what we have forgotten, that the world is meant to be celebrated. Um, do you think that uh, maybe we are appreciating that more since we have been isolated and down with the pandemic? Yeah, I think we, I think we absolutely have. Um, and not, not to minimize the struggles that, that many people are going through right, right now, um, but the, but again, birds are a profoundly uplifting, uh, aspect of our lives and, uh, they can, you know, they can make us happy and, and feel better and more connected, more connected to the world. Again, they, uh, they provide a sense of normalcy or, you know, a sense of constancy in a world that's seems topsy-turvy right now right so so the i think that's absolutely right and they they already connect us to the places in which we live and this deeper terry tempest williams talking about that you know that connection the deep connection to place that she writes so eloquently about and and birds help us to 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 do that uh and um you know i i tell the story i think in the preface or the introduction about uh, how important how important the wood thrush is to me, and growing up, uh, you know, I listen to that bird now when I hear hear that. I, I look forward to to hearing um, that bird. Sorry, that's okay. I'll give you. I hope this is your again. editing. This is your editing. <laughs> after I told you, after I told you, it didn't ever. It never rings. I'm here all day, and it never rings. <laughs> It's so strange. I don't even know who this is. Weird. Um, so, so let's okay, see. Again. Okay, let's start back with uh, you. You remember the, the the thrush and why it was so important yeah. to you? Yeah. So that so I think that birds and I often make this case in slideshows and I sometimes with students play them bird songs. Um, and the wood thrush is this uh, r- remarkable flute-like song. It, it's unlike anything else. It's just it's beautiful. So there, you know, there's that just that deep, beautiful, enjoyable listening to it. But it's also um, it's also something that connects us to the places in which we we live. So whenever I hear that that song, I look forward to it. I've been recording actually for a few years now, the first day of the spring when I hear it, uh, when they arrive. And uh, it brings me joy. And it reminds me of my childhood. And it makes me think of my parents. And, I think, and, and it connects me to, to you know, the, the places where I spent time growing up and the place you know, where I lived. So birds are something that deeply connect us to 
land and place and and environment. And you talk about what is San Francisco doing? What are what are some things they're doing there to help the birds on? Because that's one of the major uh, eight flyaways for migratory birds. Yeah. So we um, there there are a couple of chapters that have uh, a lot of San Francisco. Uh, in them, I think probably you know so many interesting things that that city, that city and that re- the Bay Area have done. Uh, so I mentioned the uh, first American city to have adopted mandatory bird safe design standards. Um, that's impressive. Um, it is a city that has it. They're also, by the way, a part of our Biophilic Cities network. They're they're a partner city, so we've kind of watched them over over a number of years. Uh, they have a, a number of innovative programs for um, converting small spaces into into forms of nature and and renaturalizing uh, parts of the of the of the city. Uh, a lot of people know about parklets. The idea of parklets taking two or three um, on street parking spaces and converting them to small parks. That's something they're known for around the world. Um, but they have other other initiatives like a street parks. Uh, program where neighborhoods can can capture the space between the median strips of places where they can create small parks. Um, they have a sidewalk gardens permit that lets neighborhoods take up pavement and install uh, gardens, um, which is quite amazing. And there, a couple of thousand permits have been issued so far to 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 in that city to do that. So. So the more we can green and 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 renaturalize those urban environments, the better they better spaces they will be uh, for birds. Um, so those are some of the things on a on a more kind of regional scale. Uh, it's really impressive that this Bay Area has uh, two uh, kind of parallel regional trail systems. One, the Bay Trail that goes around the edge of San Francisco Bay, and it's a major birding um, venue and you get to see a lot of water birds and shorebirds and, and, uh, and, and then a kind of parallel um, trail came about in a different way, but along the ridge line um, around the Bay. So um, there, there you will see different kinds of birds and, and together each one of them when they're finished will be 500 miles long. So when they're completed, that's a thousand miles of trails in the Bay Area. That um, this, in addition to all of this, the the network of trails that exist at at you know a more local city city level. So that's a part of what cities can do as well create a, create the infrastructure, the opportunities for for residents to be outside and to be on a trail and to be uh, in places where they can see birds and different kinds of birds. Um, so that's something San Francisco has excelled at, I think. Well, let me ask you, since you're a professor and you talked about this a little bit, um, are you teaching any studios about um, designing for birds uh, in urban design or landscape architecture? Yeah, that's a great question. And so I, uh, I'm i not a designer. I'm, um, I, I'm more of a planner at the scale. I'm a designer in a sense, but it's more... Uh, policy and programs and less about, you know, actually designing a space. Um, my focus is again, more at the urban, urban level. Um, but, uh, we have a landscape architecture program here. We have an architecture program. So these are students learning, you know, how to design buildings and how to design landscapes around buildings. And I would love for those students to have more exposure to birds and to what, you know, to the design options and ideas that will make those spaces more bird-friendly. I don't think that there's, uh, that we're unusual, though. I don't think that we're teaching very much about birds in architecture schools, and I think that's too bad. And um, I think at a bare, at a minimum, anybody going through an architecture program today ought to be uh, aware of uh, how dangerous buildings and how dangerous glass is for uh, for birds, and ought to, ought to incorporate those bird friendly design elements into any any design work. So any studio th- thinking about designing a building uh, needs to think about birds. 
And the same would be true for a landscape studio. Well, that's true. You know, I was, I was the only one in my program who um, I just took an interest in it just because I, I think of how I grew up and where I grew up. And um, uh, I just took it myself to do some more research um, about, yeah, just designing spaces uh, for birds. So the, your book would be a great uh, resource for any of those professors thinking about that, a bird studio. Yeah, I, I, I would hope so. And, and you know, it's interesting. I think I, I, I mentioned this somewhere in the book. Uh, just just as a, an observer of a lot of design work, um, it seems like almost any rendering of a, of a building of, a, of, say, a library or, you know, any major project will frequently have birds, you know, sort of in there somewhere. It's, it's almost just a little visual dressing. Um, and then to me, the irony is that uh, we dress up these renderings with birds, but I, you know, have no confidence that the actual design of that building or that, that facility or whatever it is, uh, you know, is bird friendly and took birds into account. So, so absolutely. Um, bird, birds and there again, uh, you started by asking me about the ecosystem services of birds. And we talked about the benefits of having birds around us. Um, they are a proxy for the quality of the environments, you know, they are in. So the quality of environments that we spend time in, um, in cities. And, uh, if, if there aren't birds, it's probably not a really good place for people either. Yeah. I was going to say, uh, it, what would happen to the world if there were, if there were no birds tomorrow? Well, I don't know. I mean, I think I think a lot of th- again, there'd be a lot of cascading effects in uh, ecosystem impacts, but more more profoundly would be just the loss, um, at, you know, the loss of of the joy and pleasure and connection that we get from having birds around us, and how diminished our lives and our world uh, would would be. Um, that that you know, I, I can't imagine a world without birds. I can't either. And yeah, that's a good point about studios that, yeah, they always just uh, stick a few birds in the sky, but uh, without right. <laughs> thinking about, <laughs> yeah, yeah, they just, you know, just throw a few birds in there, a few clouds and, you know, and without really thinking it, about what it is. Don't want to sort of over, over state this case, but it does seem like, yeah, let's put some birds there, you know, and, and let's, let's dress it up. And let's uh, let's use those bir- images of birds to to make make this design look more natureful, maybe yeah. uh, more biophilic than it really is. And uh, I'm all for I'm I'm all for putting making birds a central design element. Um, and in that case, then yeah, we it's it's entirely legitimate to have birds in renderings. Well, let's go to, you have also Toronto in here, and um, it has been described in your book as a migratory bird superhighway because millions of birds travel through this urban region during the fall and spring migrations. Uh, What is Toronto doing? Well, Toronto has been one of those really leading uh, cities when it comes to to birds. And uh, it's the result of a combination of things that the city has, has, has done. Um, but it's also been uh, people and organizations, and there's a, a group called FLAP, uh, an acronym um, uh, that is an organization actually that that uh, has been spearheading um, the bird conservation issue for many many years. And uh, a, a fellow named Michael Majure who founded FLAP, um, and uh, he, an artist actually, um, who just became very concerned about birds and the impact of birds flying through that city and hitting glass, hitting buildings, and wanted to do something about it. And uh, and so one of the remarkable things they started to do uh, through 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 volunteer through 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 this army of volunteers is basically to to during during peak migration and in, in, in the spring and fall. Uh, volunteers go around the city, particular places, um, and and look for injured uh, or dead birds, 
And uh, this, I think, maybe the first city where this happened in any to in, in any meaningful way. And they collect the the birds, the the injured birds, uh, you know, get collected and and uh, sent to a wildlife center for for you know for treatment. Um, but they collect a lot of they keep the 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 dead birds. They collect them and then once a year they uh, display them. And uh, there are pictures of this in the in the book, but uh, and they dis- display them in in patterns and very um, in very creative ways. But the idea is to show visually demonstrate visually in a vi- kind of visually compelling way um, the impact on birds. You know the impact of buildings in, in the city, and and to raise awareness about the dangers. And so that has uh, led the city to, to, to do um, a number of things, but they, they really were the first city to have adopted these, these minimum bird safe design uh, standards. Um, so really the first city, first city in, in North America, predating San Francisco uh, even. So they have uh, other things that they're doing. They have some wonderful uh, parks that are talked about a little bit in, in the book. Um, and that that provide that are really important uh, habitat uh, habitats for birds, um, but it's definitely a city with a lot of people and a lot of energy around bird conservation. Well, you know what I didn't know, kind of going off of that is, um, you know, highways. How do highways just roads? Uh, chapter 10, um, the struggle to save birds and bush from a proposed highway. How do highways affect oh. birds? Yeah, well, in multiple ways. So that's a story from Australia. So there's a chapter about this um, Row 8 highway uh, in Western Australia. And um, we have a, a film about that as well, if anyone uh, wants to learn more. But it's a story of... Uh, a proposed highway expansion project um, that the community just rose up against and and eventually was able to stop and they were able to actually change the political landscape and and you know led to the change changing changing of the state government actually the state um, the the premier the governor essentially a governor um, and and so yeah these are these were ancient Banksia woodlands that were habitat, our habitat, uh, for a lot of birds, a lot of other animals as well. And they're also uh, sacred lands for the indigenous Noongar uh, people. And, uh, and so, yeah, so in, in that particular story, it, 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 the highway was threatening habitat loss. So you know, one of the things I say in the book is that every city needs to think carefully um, about, you know, what it does with this kinds of these kinds of infrastructure, save, protect as much as possible. This is a project that didn't have a lot of real justification. We really shouldn't be building, you know, or expanding highways where we, you know, where we have where we have alternatives and we always have an alternative, it seems like. Um, so so that's one one story. Um, you could also talk about r- roads in terms of the roads themselves being you know, not just taking habitat, but the actual movement of, of cars and trucks and vehicles on roadways representing a threat to birds uh, also. And there are some estimates about, um, you know, bird vehicle uh, strikes. And I think that's something we don't really understand as well. There has been a big push in many cities. Edmonton, Canada is a, a wonderful example of a city that's been building a lot of wildlife passages uh, so that that uh, animals big and small can move across the landscape without being without being hit by a car. Um, birds are a little different, of course. They're flying. They're, you know, we, we need to have um, connected landscapes and we need to minimize sort of gaps for birds. And we do, uh, need to be thinking about 
road road designs that minimize the chance of birds being hit by um, by cars or trucks. And and sometimes that means just being careful about where we're attracting birds, right? So so planting um, attractive berry bushes in the median of a of a of a busy road might not be a good thing, you know, from a bird conservation point of view. Yeah, that's true. And, and I hate to admit it that, um, you know, it's kind of like with those deer and headlight moments. I've been driving down the road and I see the bird and, and it sees me and it's just too late at that moment. Mm-hmm. You know, you're yeah. driving and, and I'm like, Oh, I just, I feel, I feel so guilty. I feel so horrible when it happens. Yeah. Well, one of the, one of the answers is we, we're, we're moving too fast. We're driving too fast and lots of particularly in neighborhood, you know, spaces. Uh, and, and so reducing speed, speed limits and finding ways to, you know, uh, slow down traffic, slow down. It's good for all of us, right? It's good for, 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 um, safety for kids and better for bicyclists and, we need to just be, you know, moving in the direction of more uh, sh- shared space sort of models, this super block kind of idea from Barcelona and other other places where, you know, uh, where we're, we're creating um, spaces where we can sit and kids can play and where the, the traffic may be moving, you know, ve- very slowly. That those are spaces that are going to be safer for birds as well as for people. Well, I have to ask you one more thing. Um, now, what is the um, Tree City USA you have on page 178? It was every bird, every city, a bird city. Um, can cities become certified as bird cities or what is this about? Yeah, so the the whole book really, of course, is about what it might mean to be a, a bird-friendly city. And I don't necessarily, um, I lay out a lot of the, a lot of things we've talked about today, a lot of the, the qualities of what would be a, a bird-friendly or bird-safe city. And um, it's not necessarily meant to be any kind of certification system. And it's a kind of a subset of this biophilic cities network that I've talked about. And there is a, um, there is a joining process and a a set of things that you have to do to be part of the network. Um, But there is a movement within, particularly within Audubon um, um, to start these um, bird city certification uh, systems. And so uh, bird city, Wisconsin is one that I talk about in the book and spent some little bit of time with them trying to understand it. And, and it's a kind of a point system. There's cert- certain things that you have to do um, in that city, but then you get points for doing, a, 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 you know, you get to choose which things you, you want to do in your city, creating new habitat, creating an um, educational program around birds, um, uh, doing, doing something to, to acknowledge or celebrate the international Migratory Bird Day. I think that's a requirement in most of them, um, and it's and and then you you get to be you you are certified as you know being in this um, bird city, and uh, and I think that's a really good a good step and a good you know beginning point for cities to to begin to think about you know how how what they do their policies their their investments their design of of things that get built buildings and roads and so on affect birds. I think that's um, a, a really good way to give uh, visibility to, to birds at that local, local level. Well, maybe if there's any silver lining, there's always a silver lining to uh, everything happening right now with the pandemic. Um, it's that I like what you said, chapter 12, you know, cultivating a bird caring citizenry. Maybe we'll care a little bit more about our habitat and, how it affects us and how we affect it. I hope so. That would be a great, a great outcome uh, uh, from the book. I would, uh, that, that would be wonderful. So I think it's carrying, you know, again, it's uh, creating, creating bird friendly habitats and environments and cities is about creating better places for humans. So it all, it all goes together. Um, well, Tim, 
thank you for being here today. I know we've taken up a lot of your time and, and I've really enjoyed this conversation. You know, uh, there's lots of bird lovers out there. Uh, so can you tell the audience, uh, what is, what are you working on now? What's your next project? Yeah. So it's all connected in one way or another to the idea of nature in, in cities. So, um, so we have just earlier today was on uh, a call with, uh, a bunch of folks in Lima, Peru, and we have almost every day a, a call or some form of a, a Zoom or a, a contact of some sort with uh, a city in some other part of the world. So right now, we are very much trying to grow our biophilic cities networks. I'm spending quite a lot of time. It's, it's a current and future project. It's something uh, kind of continuously working on. But we think this uh, idea of, of uh, connecting to nature, the, the idea that we need this, this um, nature fix, that it's not something optional, we absolutely need to have birds and nature around us, and it's a birthright. Every human being uh, deserves to have that, that contact with nature. So we're building this movement, and uh, so spending a lot of time uh, on that. And we're hoping to have cities in other parts of the world. We have one city now um, in India. Um, and we, but we want cities in China. We want uh, cities in, um, in Africa. And, and so we're just really move, trying to move forward this, this vision of cities, natureful vision, visions, vision of city that shares space with birds and other forms of life. Um, and a global movement. Um, and so that's really what I'm, I'm working on and will continue to work on in the next, next months. Oh, that sounds like a, a fabulous goal. Yes, we, we think so. Hope so. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it is a, it is a goal. It's an aspiration, but we're, well, we're optimistic. We're kind of, we're moving, we're moving ahead. We're all anxious anyway. to get outside again. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Let's all do that. Let's all do that. Uh, well, again, uh, Tim, thank you so much for being here today. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Enjoyed the conversation. 